Welcome to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth, a blogger on personal finance here in New Zealand. Because New Zealand is a really small place, it's seriously more like a village and the people I seek out are often uncomfortable having their story told in public. You will hear their stories from me and not directly from them so that they can retain their privacy. Plus, I have a tendency to waffle, so by doing it this way, you get a better level of detail. And I just chat to people, I tease the information out of them, and I condense it down so that you can hear helpful, relatable stories from Kiwis who are giving their experiences, their tips, and point of view on personal finance in New Zealand. Now this week, I'm heading south to one of New Zealand's more underrated cities, Invercargill, where I had a chat with Steve, who described his financial story as not so much an epic dig-out-of-deep-debt or a becoming-fabulously-wealthy kind of story, but more of a jigsaw puzzle, piecing it all together over time kind of story, which he told me is still very much ongoing. Aged 31, he's a part-time teacher and almost full-time stay-at-home dad to his two-year-old, and he's married to Maddie, a 29-year-old junior doctor who is working while also studying to finish her qualification. Now, these two have been relatively strategic in how they've gone about things, and I think they have a story that many millennials could emulate. But before I tell you all about Steve and Maddie, I just want to tell you about the sponsor of today's show, Hatch. I'm excited to have Hatch supporting today's episode because they make investing in the world's most recognisable companies and funds easy and affordable. Hatch is Kiwi Wealth's investing platform and as part of the Kiwi Group family, they are 100% Kiwi owned and are committed to helping Kiwis grow their wealth long term. Whether you're new to investing or an experienced Wolf of Wall Street, you can be a shareholder in the brands you know and love and back the companies you grew up with like Microsoft and Apple. Or back a green future with groundbreaking brands like Tesla and Beyond Meat. The team behind Hatch is dedicated to helping Kiwis learn that they can get their money working harder. So if you're ready to take your first step, head to hatch.as forward slash the happy saver. I first heard from Steve when I asked my blog audience at thehappysaver.com for some more podcast ideas as I was keen to listen to something new. He had found this very podcast and it had helped to entertain him while he was painting his house over the summer, just a few hours south of me in Invercargill. Well, pretty soon, and because I'm pretty nosy, I was asking him about how he came to be in Invercargill and he said that given both he and his wife are government employees, she's a junior doctor and he is a teacher, it was a no-brainer to choose to live somewhere with a lower cost of living and affordable housing. They get paid more or less the same wherever they choose to live in New Zealand, and living down south gives them much more bang for their buck, particularly when it comes to housing. As an aside, he mentioned that they were actually in the unusual position of paying off their home during the first couple of weeks of the COVID-19 lockdown, but then he quickly went on to chat about other things. So the subject line of my return email was titled, Stop the Bus. You paid off your mortgage? And I'm always excited to praise people who become mortgage-free because in my view, it's a milestone that often goes completely uncelebrated because it's seen as gloating to even acknowledge it. But I think we can all appreciate that it's a culmination of a lot of hard work and discipline over a long period of time, and that's well worth celebrating. So, of course, I had to know more about this couple and how and why they did it because for many of us, moving to Invercargill is not the no-brainer decision he thinks it is. Steve is from rural South Otago, a part of New Zealand I actually know quite well as I once lived there myself. 
He and his six siblings grew up living on a farm that his dad managed. His mum was a teacher, but with so many kids running around her own house, she had quite an interrupted career, but that allowed her to spend a lot of time at home raising them all. Steve's first job, perhaps unsurprisingly, was farm work, doing all sorts of jobs like rearing calves, tailing lambs, and his most dreaded job, thistle chipping by hand. Now there will be some people listening to this nodding their head right now and others wondering what on earth I'm talking about. Just think of it as prickly hard work. He said it was an interesting way to make just $4 an hour. He loved growing up on a farm. He said that they were not poor but they didn't have a lot of money and that money was a low-lying stress in their family, something he was always aware of. They lived in housing supplied by the farmer, a small three-bedroom house with a sleep-out for the overflow of kids and he said that he doesn't know if his parents thought ahead when they decided to have that amount of children, and he grew up as a casual observer of how his parents struggled. He learned lessons by observing others, and we all observe and learn from mistakes and successes of our role models. He said of his own parents that they excel in many areas and they do their best, but he has observed enough of their financial moves to know that he will take another path. I think that is such an important thing to note, All kids are watching their parents and the adults around them and quietly taking on board the things that they see and I hear this time and time again from the people I speak with. He can't recall a time that it dawned on him but he knew that when he grew up he did not want to have money as a stress in his life and he feels that this ambition is something he feels motivated by now and it was a driver to get on top of their mortgage and other debts. A key thing his parents instilled in him though was to work hard and he took a lot of inspiration from them. They used to say to him to never put your hands in your pockets when you are at work and always show you are keen to work. Use your initiative. And I like this one. Money is earned as opposed to a gift received for just showing up. Steve now realises that so many people don't have that work ethic and it's something that still needs to be taught. He said they were fortunate in many ways as his grandparents helped them out financially many times over the years. They paid for braces for him and his siblings, they paid for music lessons, and they picked up the tab for the things that his own parents couldn't cover. His grandfather was actually a stockbroker and an accountant, and he and Steve's grandmother became his financial role models, and he is grateful for their support and guidance over the years. He finished high school and went straight to Teachers College in Dunedin in 2007. It was not a decision he'd really thought through, but with school coming to an end, most of his mates were off to uni. His two older siblings had been, and the thought of teaching had crossed his mind. Not the best way to plan your career, he said, but the way he was raised was he was told to just see how you go, don't think too much about it. He remembers starting his study and then learning of all the other careers that were possible, but prior to this he had not even known that they existed. After four years he finished with a teaching degree and a graduate diploma, And as it turned out, from a financial standpoint, it was actually a really smart thing to do because it means that on the teacher's pay scale, you start a step higher up by having the graduate diploma. And as you progress through, your ceiling cap is higher and you are always earning five to $8,000 more than those with just a three-year degree. And over a long career, that amount of money really starts to add up. It was by pure chance that he did take on that graduate diploma But maybe if you are listening to this and going through Teachers College yourself, or you know someone who is, you might like to follow up on this thought. I was interested to know how he paid for his study. Again, thanks go to his grandparents as they paid for his first year at uni, including his hall of residence, that he could not have gone to without their help. 
It was, he said, a pretty amazing help up, given that they also did this for all of his five other siblings. Because of his parents' lower income, he also received a student allowance, plus he got a scholarship that went some way towards paying for his education and made a huge difference to him, and he feels very fortunate to have received it. He did take on a small student loan, and when he finished study, he paid it off quickly. The push to do this was due in part to the fact that if he paid $500 onto his loan, he would get a 10% discount, plus of course the loan was interest-free. So he just got after it and cleared it as soon as he could. While he was studying, he also did casual work during each semester that he found through student job search, and he worked over the summers doing lots of bits and pieces, fruit picking in Alexandra, farm work and tractor work, and calling upon all those skills that he'd learned as a kid. Now remember how I said that when he started to study, he realised there were a whole heap of other career opportunities out there? Well, after his first year of study, he actually took a gap year and he moved to Auckland and did an internship through a church up there. It was a program for school leavers and university kids who were not really sure what they wanted to do. So over the year, they exposed him to lots and lots of different types of work. He went to financial lectures, he did various work experience postings, he went building for a few months, he worked in a garage as well as doing some shop work, he ran a half marathon, plus they even took a trip to Parliament and coincidentally he met Jacinda Ardern in her first year in Parliament. He was not 100% sure about teaching at the start, but after his gap year and after all of the new and unique experiences he'd had, he was now sure that he was on the right path and he really recommends people try this before embarking on a career. Take a year of experiencing a wide range of different things and thinking things through while earning some money at the same time. He met his wife Maddie while they were both at university. She was well into her med degree, doing eight years of study all up, but of course those who take this path never quite give up studying, so training is always ongoing. She finished the bulk of those eight years with a student loan of $125,000, She continued to study once he had finished and had started working as a teacher and because of this they got quite used to living on just Steve's income and it meant that by the time she did come out and start earning they knew they could easily function on just one income. Today at the age of 29 after about three years of work with a year of maternity leave thrown in as well she is paying down her student loan debt through having the standard 12% deducted from her wages and her loan balance is already down to somewhere in the $80,000 range. In the back of Steve's mind, he knows that debt is there, but it's not getting any more expensive, they're not adding to it, and it is interest-free, so there is less motivation to pay it down. She is on a good income, and it is getting paid down reasonably quickly, plus over time her income will increase as well, and it's going to speed up that debt repayment even more. However, that is 12% of her income that they don't have access to, and at the rate they are going, it will remain this way for a number of years yet. He said that they really only had two years both working and earning before they had their first child, and that he said is when they did the majority of their paying down of their mortgage. Now those who want to own their own home but feel priced out of an insane property market, listen up. In 2016, just four years ago as I write this, they purchased their house in Invercargill for $263,000, and by early 2020, they owned it outright. So how did they do it? They specifically moved to Invercargill to buy a home. When they moved there, they rented for a number of months and used that time to really get to know the Invercargill housing market and get a feel for what part of town they wanted to live in, what they could afford, and also what type of loan would suit them. 
They shopped around the banks as well, and they just didn't rush their decision. As first home buyers, they accessed their KiwiSaver, about $20,000 combined, plus they received a Homestart grant of $7,000. He knew at the time that thinking long-term, it would have been better to leave their KiwiSavers intact, because that money had been in the share market a while, and if left alone, it would have just grown steadily on its own and provided a bigger retirement nest egg. Looking back now, he wonders if long-term that was the best financial decision for their future to drain their KiwiSavers, because now they have to start all over again. Six months into getting their mortgage, they also both took a KiwiSaver holiday for a couple of years to totally focus on smashing the mortgage. But again, he said that knowing what he knows now, he would not have paused it and would have grown their KiwiSavers and smashed the mortgage. But he knew they could get the mortgage paid quickly and it was easier for them to have one focus only, being mortgage-free. So he does not regret it, but he would think differently about it now. Maddie had received a number of scholarships, plus they had coupled together some other savings, so all up they had a 20% deposit of roughly $54,000. They went with SBS, which is the Southland Building Society, whose head office is in Invercargill, and although he said that they didn't really know what they were doing, they did know that they wanted to keep the structure of their debt very simple, so they fixed a portion of their loan with high repayments and had a smaller floating component as well, which let them set the pay down and allowed them to make extra payments if and when they were able, and they locked the strategy in for one year. Now he wanted to give a massive shout out to his wife Maddie for how they went about getting into their home, because although he says his journey with money is a cobbling together of bits and pieces over time, she has always been a consistent saver, and a large portion of savings at that point were thanks to Maddie, as he was still finding his feet financially. Instead of ploughing every last cent into their deposit, as many do, she held some back from their deposit to be kept aside as an emergency fund. They put this in an account that offset some of the interest on their mortgage. This is huge because it meant that if something cropped up once they had moved into their home that they couldn't save up for first, they had the money there in case of an emergency. Of their relationship, Steve says it works really well because they are both conservative spenders and neither is prone to go out and just blow money. When they bought their home, from the very start, they had the intention of getting after their mortgage. There were a few people who influenced their decision to become debt-free. His grandfather for a start. He always set a good example to follow, plus Scott Pape of the Barefoot Investor and our very own Mary Holm and her most recent book, Rich Enough. He used the sordid website for information and for running practical calculations based on the framework that Scott and Mary had given him. Their practical approach felt very comfortable to him, and they influenced his idea of being anti-debt, or not building up a tiny bit of equity and using your home to buy the next one. He is more conservative in his thinking and motivated to pay down debt because this will just avoid him having stress around money. He recalled something he had either heard or read while he was a teenager, that when people took on a mortgage, they often ended up paying double the amount they borrowed due to the large amount of interest they had to pay. This blew his teenage mind, he said, and it lit a bit of a fire in him that there must be a better way. He didn't really know what that way was, but the thought always lingered, and as luck would have it, his future wife did know the way. So both of them were working full-time in the first couple of years. She was earning $53,000 and he was earning $48,000, and they just went about living an enjoyable life while aggressively paying down debt. When you hear of a combined income of $101,000 before tax and a $209,000 mortgage, the math is just so much easier. Compare that with their North Island peers who are taking on mortgages 
two, three, or four times higher than this, and you can see how people can quickly start to struggle under huge mortgage debt. Even with her taking a break from maternity leave, with him dropping back his hours to stay at home almost full-time, they still became debt-free in April 2020, and I just love this. These two are an example of what is possible if you just make a few strategic decisions. Some may see a move to the Deep South as a compromise, but these two don't. It's home, and they love it. They both have excellent careers, a home of their own, and a child that they spend a lot of time with, just like his own mum did with him. All up, they stopped their contributions into their KiwiSavers for over two years, but as soon as their mortgage was gone, they started contributing to them again. They're both with Simplicity, and he and his employer contribute 3%. Because he's part-time and currently working just one day a week, he tops this up to make sure he gets the government contribution of $521 a year. Her employer pays 6%, and she contributes the same from her salary. So after drawing out all but the $1,000 from each of their funds, they now have their combined KiwiSaver balances up to $28,000. Steady investment over their working lives should see them end up with a really good amount in there, and his plan is to stick to the strategy and also begin to invest outside of their KiwiSaver. He said of his KiwiSaver investment that he does not want to give the impression that he has it all together. When he was up in Auckland all those years ago, he listened to a talk given by a guy who said, KiwiSaver was a terrible idea. Steve had just signed up to it and based on this one person's point of view, he instantly stopped his contributions. Then, just a short time later, another influence on him said that KiwiSaver was great, so he got back in, thank goodness. So he, like most of us, is very much learning as he goes and he flips and flops around a bit as he settles on the right path for him, which is to be in KiwiSaver from here on in. Now that they are debt-free, they are building up their emergency fund to $20,000, a figure that he feels comfortable with and feels is appropriate for them. Now this figure is not a shot in the dark, but actually quite strategic, with one of the reasons being that they have income protection insurance that does not kick in till after six months, so they need to have a six-month buffer available to tide them over in case one of them could not work. And I actually heard from someone recently that has had this exact situation crop up, So having a stash of cash set aside to see you through is a lifeline for many. So don't ever think of your emergency fund as dead money or money that is not working for you. It's working for you all right. It's giving you peace of mind that in times of an unexpected event, you can support your whānau. They are not on an all-out sprint to financial independence and their plan is to both work part-time at some point, which will of course reduce their income. They would much rather make the most of their time as opposed to working their guts out. The fact they can have one of them working part-time, which is currently him, and at home with their two-year-old child is wonderful, and it's a no-brainer to them that one of them be home. He said that a lot of people who give Invercargill a hard time have never been there, and in fact, he said that they feel privileged to be living somewhere like Invercargill, with a low cost of living that allows them to spend so much time with their child. Given their jobs, they would earn the same wherever they lived in New Zealand, In fact, he said that for Maddie, she earns a little more due to their location. He said that he read somewhere recently that 90% of your time that you spend with your kids is before the age of 18. And if he can make the most of that time, why would he not? It's a no-brainer. Now, inspired by the Barefoot Investor, they have a date night every month and they have had a lot of chat about what to do after the mortgage is cleared. I mentioned that with their KiwiSavers on autopilot, they are now investing outside of KiwiSaver. The reason people do this is so that they have money that they can access should they ever want to, 
although he has no concerns about his ability to keep his sticky mitts off it, he said. They have set up a Simplicity Growth Fund with an initial investment of $1,000. They now add $70 a fortnight. They are investing for investing sake because money will always come in handy at some point and his thoughts right now are that it might be needed in another 10 years or so for braces for their child or to help their children into a home in 20 years or to help with study fees or even pay for a wedding. Having money set aside will just provide them with options and that's important. He's not really into tracking things with a formal budget. It's not really his style, he said, but he has found the sorted budgeting tool really useful so they have a pretty good idea of what they are spending and where, made easier by the fact that neither of them are big spenders and they have always had a good idea of what they are spending, so they have worked out where to allocate their income. 40% goes to spending, 10% to a savings account called Smile, that comes from the Barefoot Investor by the way, and this money is earmarked for travel as they have had a couple of trips to Europe and other destinations. They did actually have a trip cancelled due to COVID, but one day when the borders open up, they will have a good amount ready to deploy on a family travel adventure. They are currently pushing 35% of their income into an emergency fund, and once they've built this up to 20000 they will push that extra money into investments, giving them a really good savings rate. Their child gets 2% into that Simplicity account. And finally, they give 13% to an account named Koha. Giving is a big part of this couple. They do it as part of their church, but also on an individual level, sponsoring a child through World Vision and donating to local food banks, something they have done for a long time and something that they want to teach their child to do as well. Show that generosity is what they do as a family. His motivation to be sorted with their money was to avoid stress, to be content and to give. And if you are content and have a good lifestyle, then to him, it's a no-brainer to be able to help others. And you don't have to look too far to see people who by geography or upbringing, they just need some help. And for him, he is very motivated to grow his and his wife's ability to give that help. There is nothing like seeing firsthand what need really looks like. And a few years ago, as part of Maddie's medical training, they had the opportunity to visit Malawi, probably one of the poorest countries in the world. Meeting a father and sitting in his house surrounded by this man's six kids, they were offered coke and biscuits that Steve just knew they could not afford. And in that moment, he knew how wealthy and privileged they were in comparison. There are so many people who need help and they want to be in a financial position themselves where they can use their money and their generosity to help others simply because they enjoy doing so. Now, not everyone I meet has that perspective. In fact, sadly, he is a rarity, which is why it was so refreshing to hear it from him. Now, I was interested to know if he had someone in his life who he could openly talk about money with now. Other than, of course, Maddie, he has his siblings and he can openly talk about money with them. In fact, in the name of their late grandfather, in January 2020, they've all started up a share club together. They each put $10 a week into a single Sheezy's account under one of their names. It can't be in joint names, unfortunately. And they have a Facebook Messenger group where they chat about investments and options. Every month, it's someone's turn to choose what to invest in, and they get to invest all of the money that is in the account. And with six siblings, it must be about $240 a month. There are a variety of approaches as to what people buy, some by ETFs or index funds, and some individual shares. When it was Steve's turn, he put his options on a dartboard, and whatever he hit, he invested in. 
Amongst the group, there is one sibling who is really into tracking things. So they are monitoring how it's all performing. And Steve said that the whole thing has been such a good learning experience for him without having to have too much skin in the game. He and Maddie are also investing on their own. As part of their weekly budget, they each give themselves what they call boy and girl money of $50 each a week. They can spend it in whatever way they want and use it for things like haircuts and clothes. He found he was not really spending it, so he started investing using sharesies. Then Maddie was looking at him and what he was doing and decided to start too. And it's just grown from there and is yet another way for them to have a conversation about money and investing. He is investing in some smart shares funds, the Australian Top 20, New Zealand Top 50, US 500, Emerging Markets and Emerging Markets Responsible Fund. He is still thinking through his investment strategy, still learning and finding his way, but it's been a good way to think about where to start. I hope he sticks with the advice of Scott Pape and just sticks with a couple of low-cost index funds that he sets and forgets and that he does not trade because, as he says, trading is toxic to your wealth. I asked him what he would do if he were given $10,000 right now. First up, he would talk to Maddie about it. They would have a financial date night to discuss it, but the first thing they would do most likely would be to finish topping up their emergency fund. Next, they would give a portion of it and with the rest, they would invest it. So how about their three main financial habits, the things that they just automatically do with their money? Well, number one, they always buy on sale whenever possible. Whether it's clothes or food or whatever, they will always look for a deal. Number two, they always lean towards not buying something. Basically, they have learned the skill of delayed gratification. And even when they see something they might want, they are happy to wait or not buy it at all. And by delaying, they often work out that they actually didn't really need whatever it was they were looking at. And you can save a fortune this way. Number three, paying boy and girl money of $50 a week is now a habit. It was a lower amount of $40 when they were paying off their mortgage. But with that expense now gone, they have increased it ever so slightly. And it goes towards haircuts, clothes, and now, of course, investments. Now, I don't want you to come away from listening to this thinking that they are super tight with their money and that these two are constantly denying themselves things they either need or want because that is absolutely not the case. They just prioritize their spending differently to others and they don't have a lot of expensive tastes or hobbies. And put simply, I think, like myself actually, they're just content with what they have and they don't need to be constantly searching for more. As an example of this is their car choice. They drive two older cars, one's worth about $10,000, the other about $4,000. They're just not interested in cars as a status symbol. These vehicles, they go well, they're safe to drive, and that's about all that matters. So what advice might he have for others? He advises you and I to be deliberate with our finances. Think about what is important to you and your whanau and be honest about what you are currently doing and what you really want to do. Because what you spend your money on shows what you value, yet sometimes what you spend your money on does not line up with your values. And if they don't line up, he said, be honest about that and make some changes. I asked him if he could retain all of the knowledge that he has today regarding money and he could go back to his 15-year-old self and start again, what would he do, whether it be the same or something different? Well, obviously he said he could say that he would invest sooner for compound interest, but for him, it would be to start learning earlier, both from his grandparents and from other role models, plus he would read more books. The shame was that when he reached the age of really wanting to learn and understand, his granddad had passed away. So I guess what I would say to any of the grandparents listening to this 
start talking to your mokapuna and if you see any inkling of interest there, start chatting. Perhaps even if you can see that they're not ready to hear it now, write down the key things you would like to pass on to them so that when they have those questions, the answers are pre-prepared. So what was Steve's biggest financial triumph? Paying off the mortgage in such a short amount of time. And also, a triumph is what he has learned over the last couple of years. They have moved from a point of being quite accidental, not having much thought about what to do with money, to a point that he feels more confident and comfortable with what they are doing with money. They are completely in control of their money instead of it controlling them. So what might be their greatest financial flop? When he was going to propose to Maddie, he went to Michael Hill Jeweller and signed up to an in-store finance loan to buy the engagement ring. He had not thought about finance going into the store, but he saw a ring that was more than he had previously thought he would pay with cash, and paying it off was presented as an option, so he signed up. But, and this is where he turns a financial flop into a triumph in my book, he went home and thought through the reality of the situation. He was not earning much at that stage and he would be paying it off for years to come. And what kind of way is that to start a marriage? In debt with the engagement ring. So, and this takes guts, he went back into the store and cancelled it and he instead bought a ring he could afford with cash. I spoke with Aaron in episode number 38 and he did exactly the same. And I'm happy to report that both couples appear to still be happily married despite a cheaper ring. A second flop he mentioned was that when he was young he was quite motivated to give, but sometimes to his own detriment. Once he gave away most of his money to a cause he believed in right before he was due to fly out to Melbourne with a friend, he just didn't think through and he had no money for his trip. His heart was in the right place, he just knew there was a need greater than his own and he wanted to help, but it left him skint himself, so it was not actually the right thing to do. Right, moving on. I've taken to asking people how much they spend on their groceries each week, probably due in part because I'm trying to work out if we spend too much. And after speaking to him, I can confirm that at $250 a week, yeah, we probably do because they spend about $120 to $150 a week. And I think I might have gasped when I heard this and I wondered how they did it so cheaply. Is this another benefit to living in Invercargill that I didn't know about? Well, they shop once a week using a list and they buy what's on sale if possible. They do the majority of their cooking from scratch and they mostly eat at home, only going out to eat from time to time. Plus, they cook in batches so are preparing meals ahead of time. He feels well fed and doesn't feel they skimp at all. He said that neither are coffee drinkers, plus they have low alcohol consumption and nor are they big on buying treat foods. He said that they actually watch the TV programme Eat Well for Less New Zealand and were completely agog at how much some people spend and waste on food. You can still find this on TVNZ On Demand, so maybe go and check it out if you haven't already watched it. Now their banking setup has a bit of a scattergun approach. Their mortgages with SBS, as are their Smile and Koha accounts. They have their daily banking or spend account with Kiwi Bank, and they also have a credit card with them that he pays off in full each fortnight. They keep their emergency savings with Rabobank because for a while there they had a slightly better interest rate than most, although I suspect now that all banks are much of a muchness with equally low rates between 1 and 2%. He said that this structure is not that strategic, it just worked out that way and they just muddle their way along. I actually think that this spread across banks is pretty normal these days as people lose any loyalty to a specific bank and just go with who is offering the best deal at the time. 
Then, as time rolls on, accounts and banks get added to the structure. Often I've noticed that as people clear debt and set up an automated investment pathway, they seek to simplify their money and they start to get rid of those institutions that no longer serve them well anymore. When you don't owe anyone any money, it's a heck of a lot easier to change banks and you don't need to ask anyone's permission to do it either. You just open an account and move your money across. Given that the first time we got in touch, it was so that he could give me a podcast suggestion, I knew that he would have some ideas to share with you and I. He likes the British podcast Desert Island Discs because he finds it inspiring to hear from all types of successful people and hear a bit about their journey. As mentioned, he has respect for Kiwi Mary Holm and Australian Scott Pape, and he follows their common sense advice. Now, Choose FI is a great podcast, as is Pop-Up Business School and Rebel Entrepreneur. He has some entrepreneurial desires, and it's inspiring to hear of people doing things differently. The classic book, The Richest Man in Babylon, is super helpful as well, and I recommend everyone read this, and I suspect that if Steve had had the opportunity to do a deep dive with his grandparents, they would have offered similar advice to this book. A tip he shared as well is that you can listen to many of these as audiobooks via your local library, so do go and look that up. And I've also got links to most of these on the tools and resources page of my blog, so go there if you want to track some of them down too. And finally, he really recommends sorted.org.nz. As I mentioned before, he does not actively keep a budget, but from time to time he just plugs his figures into their free budgeting tool to get a feel for how they are doing. Now, something they also did as a family was leading up to their final mortgage payment, they did a frugal February, where over the course of the entire month, they decided to do whatever they could during the month to cut costs. They just did simple things like using up all the food in their cupboards and selling things on TradeMe, and it just gave them a chance to focus and take stock about how they are doing. And I recommend that people give this a go. And in a way, the level four lockdown that we all went through here in New Zealand was a financial reset for many, with all unnecessary spending cut to the bone because we simply couldn't shop. Now before I wrap up, I have another quick message from today's sponsor, Hatch. Thanks again to Hatch for supporting today's episode. Whether you're new to investing or an experienced Wolf of Wall Street, you can be a shareholder in the brands you know and love. So if you're ready to take your first step, head to hatch.as forward slash the happy saver. Now I just wanted to say a heartfelt thank you to Steve for speaking with me and for sharing some of his and Maddie's story. It's one that should give a lot of other millennials a lot of hope. There was a final question that I couldn't help but ask Steve and that was, with everything he has going on in his life, what fulfills him the most? What brings him the most enjoyment? Now he didn't say anything about being mortgage free, eventually becoming student debt free, saving for his future or advancing their careers. Instead, and you are probably not surprised by this, he said family time and being able to be very present as a parent. Both him and his wife get lots of joy watching their daughter grow up before their eyes. He finds it particularly fascinating from a human development perspective because kids are quite interesting like that. I think that he and Maddie are both practical people at heart and their approach to housing shows that. Just buy the cheapest house you can afford and pay it off quickly. In that single move, they have eliminated 90% of the stress that many other people their age are facing. Now early on in both of their careers, they do have the bandwidth to have a family and given time, their earning potential from work will only increase. In one of our most recent emails, he wished me luck piecing together his ramblings into something coherent 
And I think I've managed okay because what I take from their journey with money is this. I think that Steve embodies what we like about Kiwis. He's just a kind, intelligent and thoughtful person who has the needs of his family first and the needs of others a close second. I often say to people that you don't have to have a perfect plan. You just have to get intentional and get the basic structure of your financial life sorted and then just build up from there. And these two have managed that and have made a cracking start. I have no doubt that they will refine their setup over time as we all do. Both of their careers are still unfolding and there is a huge earning potential ahead. But I've got no doubt that the pursuit of money will not come at the expense of family and of enjoying life right now. Where they live is a strategic choice. He said himself, and I totally agree, the far south of New Zealand is a great place to be. It was a bit of a no-brainer for them to choose to be somewhere with a lower cost of living and affordable housing, and I would encourage anyone out there wanting to get ahead to move yourself to another part of New Zealand just to check out what else is on offer. Now, I don't want to be a downer on Auckland where the majority of Kiwis actually live, but in all honesty, guys, the rest of the country couldn't be paid enough to live there. He said he kind of shakes his head when he hears of people on high incomes talking about having no money. But he surmises that you don't know what you don't know. Well, hopefully, after hearing the story of these two, you now know a little more. You're welcome. So that's all from me this week. I'll be back next Wednesday with another money journey of another Kiwi. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit subscribe and it will automatically update in your podcast app each time I release a new episode. And if you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com. And if you feel the urge, leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. Those are the best ways that people can learn about my podcast and I would love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and whanau and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving. <laughs>